We're going to read um, this passage together, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 17 to the first verse of chapter 6. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So I just want to work through uh, this passage. It's quite a dense passage, but I just want to pick out a phrase here, a key word there, and I want to invite you to let this word simmer on your heart and bring transformation. I was talking to my wife yesterday, and I, sometimes you feel, a, well, I feel, anyway, a pressure that when you bring a preach, you've got to, you know, you've got to entertain, you've got to make it interesting enough so people uh, stay alert and all the rest of it. But over this week, I, I've just been encouraged. What I want to bring this morning is God's word that if we receive with an open and receptive heart can bring, bring transformation. That's actually what it's all about. Uh, you know, being an entertainer is very much secondary to that. And digging into God's word, meditating on it, like no doubt James Maxwell would have done, and then acting on it is what it's all about. So we're just going to work through verse by verse, um, starting with verse 17 there. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now last week was Easter Sunday, and we looked at the resurrection of Jesus, and we looked at new creation. We looked at this hope as Christians that one day we look forward to future resurrected bodies as part of new creation. We discovered that the Bible teaches and that the early Christians clearly believed that one day God would not just kick this world in the bin, but actually that he would renew it and restore it. And then we discovered the story of new creation is amazing because it's not something that will happen in the distant future. It's something that has actually already begun. And Acts number one was Jesus rising from the dead. He ushered in the beginning of this great new plan of God's to restore all things. And then we are encouraged to see that actually as Christians we have great purpose because we are agents of new creation. There is work to be done in our life. Now, whatever we learn from this passage here, it's within the framework, within the narrative, within the biggest story of God renewing all things, God bringing about new creation. Now, that has a lot of implications, and I'd encourage you to listen to last week's preach uh, online if you're away on a well-earned holiday, because uh, we touched on that in the resurrection. But if there's one thing that I can apply to this passage this morning, it's that recognizing that there, uh, that there is a wider narrative at play it encourages us to think more broadly than just me and my salvation. It encourages us to think of God's much broader plan of God bringing about a people to himself. It encourages us to think corporately. It encourages us to think in community. And, and I'll be honest with you, like I am not 
you know, culturally accustomed to thinking corporately in community. I'll often think very individually. In fact, I had prepared this whole preach and uh, I had dinner with some good friends of mine and it became apparent that every application that I had made was individual. It was just about me and God. And I had missed the whole point that it is also about community, about God's family. And uh, so as, as much as I can, I want to try and apply that. So if you hear me trying to you know, apply some corporate implications, I want you to say, yeah, preach it, Matt. Amen. Yeah. You know, me and my wife joke that uh, if you think something while you're listening to a preach, you should probably say it. But unless, of course, it's, you know, a put down, then maybe uh, be quiet. Uh, it'd be like the very first time I preached, I got heckled by uh, a random man who walked in and uh, it was a bit of a laugh, but there you go. So, so yeah, it, it, uh, but this, this discussion uh, encouraged me to think more corporately and as we apply the truths that we learn in a passage like this, corporately, it takes on a much fuller meaning, a much deeper meaning as we'll, as we'll soon see. So that is, uh, that's verse number uh, 17 there. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The next verse here, verse 18, says all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now the phrase that really jumps out at me there is from God. All this is from God. What does that mean? Well, it means that new creation, it means that this idea about our old life passing away and God dealing with former things, and new life emerging, and man being reconciled to God, all of this is from God's heart. It's his initiative. It's his longing. This morning, let's begin with a correct perspective of God in our hearts. I want to ask you a question. What, what kind of person in your heart, so in your heart, what, what kind of person is God in his dealings with you, in his dealings with man? You know, something happens, there's a situation. What do you, you know, what do you say about God as a result of that? Is he, is he angry? Is he, is he reluctant? Is he, is he an absent God? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that it's more often than not man that is reluctant and man that is absent and it, that it's God that is longing for restoration and renewal. Let's pick a couple of characters in the Bible. Let's talk about Peter and Cornelius, right? Peter, a thoroughbred Jew, you know, and, and there he is, and God says to him, you know, reach out to this man Cornelius, who is a non-Jew, you know, outside of God's purposes and plans in, in, in Peter's mind, and God says, no, God, my grace extends even to this man, and Peter is reluctant. It's God who has to say, you know, no, no, go and invite this man into your home. Well, think about in the Bible, Ananias and Saul. There is Saul destroying the church, and God's got a great plan for him. And God says to Ananias, go to this man and serve him, pray for him, see him baptized, and so on. Ananias is a bit reluctant. He says, well, I don't know, this guy's a dangerous man. Are you sure about that, God? And God says, no, go. I have a great plan and purpose for him. Or think about in the Old Testament, Jonah and Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is not the name of a person. It's the name of a city with hundreds of thousands of people in it. And God said to Jonah, go and preach to them because I want them to know my forgiveness and my mercy. And Jonah famously runs in the opposite direction. Now, he didn't run away because he was timid. I think it takes quite a bold man to run away from exactly what God's telling you to do. Um, 
He didn't run away because he was timid. He ran away because he didn't want God's mercy to fall even on his enemies. God, from the beginning, has been loving and merciful, and it's his heart and his plan. All this is from God, and it's often man that puts the roadblocks in the way. Paul Barnett, a commentator on Corinthians, says the whole movement towards man in his need is from God. That's the gospel story. The gospel story demonstrates the full extent of God's love for man. In the same passage it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God's great plan right from the beginning was that he himself would become a man. And more than that, he would embody the problem at the heart of all things, which was human sin and rebellion. He took that on himself in his son Jesus. And then by dying on the cross, he put the problem thoroughly to death. You see, God is clearly a loving God. God is also a just God. He can't tolerate wrong. So he justly dealt with sin in the most loving of ways. He gave himself. And this achieved not just, you know, old things passing away, you know, our sin being dealt with and so on, but it also secured a wonderful future, new things coming. I mean, there's, there's going to be new things coming now and new things in the future that we can't even fathom about, but that God will bring about because of this great plan. Now we are reconciled to God. We are in a restored relationship with him. I just want to make a note about becoming or receiving the righteousness of God. Receiving the righteousness of God means much more than just receiving the, the moral standing or the right record of Jesus' life to us. That is true, right? God, Jesus was perfect and uh, we, are, we receive his, you know, his perfection in a way. But it means, actually it means more than that. Receiving God's righteousness means that we receive Jesus' right standing before God. And what was Jesus' standing before God? Well, he was a son. So by definition, to receive the righteousness of God, it's not just about you receiving a clean ticket and being sent on your way. No, no, it's about being brought into God's family and having the same standing before God as his son, which is loved, adopted as his children. That's the gospel story, so that you can be fully free and, and you can be gifted and you can go and do everything that God has for you. So, in a nutshell, that's the gospel story. And guess what? That's all from God's heart. Let's start this morning with a correct you know, view of God in our mind before we start talking about reconciling man to our, uh, you know, God to man. He is so for us. He, is so, he loves us. It struck me recently. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Well, there was love for us before he sent his son. You know, he's loved us before the creation of the world as his image bearers. Even as fallen human beings, he loves you. And now as his children, how much more will he pour out his love on us? Verse 19 goes on, uh, next verse here, says, um, that is in... Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And the phrase that really jumped out to me there was 
entrusted. We are entrusted. Now, sorry, I was driving over to, um, to church this morning, and uh, it reminded me that my daughter, she has this little toy called Rilla the Gorilla. And this toy is so precious to her, it's like part of the family. It's like a pet, you know. Um, and if we were ever to lose this uh, Rilla the Gorilla, we would be in big trouble. But every now and then, Lucy will give me this toy, uh, give me this, you know, this companion, and she'll say, Dad, can you look after this while I go off and play or do whatever? And so I'll look after it, and I know that, you know, I, I've been entrusted with something precious, and if I was to ever lose it, I would be in big trouble. And so there I am, I'm the man, you know, in the, in the mall, clutching onto the soft toy. That's me if you see me. I asked you on the way to church this morning, Lucy, why do you trust me with, with that toy? You know, what, what, what's it all about? And she goes, well, uh, because I love you, she said. Because she loves me, she entrusts me with something that's precious to her. Wow. I want to share with you the heart of God, that he has entrusted us with something, and that in of itself, before we look at anything else, means that he values you, he loves you, we are so precious in his sight. You have been entrusted. As a church, we are entrusted. You see, God has actually long been in the business of showing man just how much he loves them by entrusting them with great dignity, great worth, and great responsibility. Think about creating man himself. God created man and entrusted him with free will. He gave, him the, he gave us the ability to choose things for ourselves. And as a parent, that's a terrifying thought, isn't it? You know, Giving your child the ability to choose for themselves. Well, you do that because you love them and you want them to be their own person and you value them. And, you know, you nurture them and hopefully they make sure, that, you know, if you're like me, you hover over them a little bit and make sure they, you know, pick that one or whatever. But, but the point is the same. God entrusted man with, with free will. Well, think about creation, the creation story. There's God and he's creating these amazing things. And these birds, are, you know, the bird of paradise. And he's like, oh, well, that's a fitting name. You know, like, well, there's beautiful feathers everywhere. And, and uh, he creates this amazing thing. And the Bible says that God brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. Now think about that for a moment. God just created all the complexities of life and then, and then he brings them before Adam and says, what do you want to name it? Not just once or twice, but thousands and thousands of times. Now, if you create something, if you, uh, if you make something, you know, the naming rights are yours. If someone else was to name your creation, you'd be, you know, hey, you know, you'd, you'd file a lawsuit against them or something like that. Uh, but God says, no, I made them, but I'm giving you the dignity of, of, of naming these things. I think it's a wonderful, beautiful picture of God entrusting man. You know, that was the original creation. You know, new creation is no different. You know, you have been entrusted with a wonderful and beautiful task that is a huge responsibility and a huge dignity. And a part of that entrustment is that you have been given the message of reconciliation, of how man is brought near and reconciled to God. I wonder if that was going through James Clark Maxwell's mind as he time and time again reached out to this broken man who was a recluse. I don't know, I would think that would probably motivate me. But nonetheless, we carry, more than that, we embody a message, and it is a great dignity, it's a great responsibility. He is entrusted to us. Verse 20 goes on to say, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We are ambassadors. Now, 
I love the story. I read it to Lucy at night in, in her um, kid's Bible, David and Goliath. You know, we all love that story, don't we? And uh, there's these arch enemies, these two armies, and the battle lines are drawn, and this giant ten foot of a man sort of walks out, and we all like, as in our, in our you know, best dad voices that we can go, you pick a man to come and fight me, he says, you know, and uh, you know, I, I, think I, do it, I think I do it pretty well. But, um, <laughs> and he says, you know, if, if someone is able to kill me, then, you know, we, uh, let, me, let me get this right, if someone is able to kill me, then we'll all be your servants. But if I am able to kill your man, then we, you know, then you'll be our servants, he said. In other words, if one man fought and won a victory, then the whole army won the victory. Because one man was the ambassador, was the representative for them all. Now, we know the story. David fought the enemy. I kind of wonder why they even led him on the field, knowing what the odds were uh, and knowing what was at stake. But they led him on the field, and he won the victory. And single-handedly, as the ambassador, he won the victory for everyone without anyone else even lifting a sword. And the only time he lifted a sword was, was to chop the guy's head off. You know? like, uh, he was the ambassador. This is an important thing for us to understand because, you know, Jesus became our ambassador. He loved us so much. He became our representative as, we died, as he died on the cross. He did that because he loves you. And do you know now out of love for him, he is calling you to be his ambassador. He is calling you to carry this message. He is, he is calling us to, for God to make his appeal through us. Do you know people won't hear this message unless they hear it from us? Because we are his ambassadors. Now, just as a little side point, I got a, one of my bosses. Uh, he's a uh, he's a guy. He's probably about the size of Goliath. He's six foot something. He's a very you know big rough man. He's a he build his hands and and uh, he'll scare the living daylights out of most people when people hear his footsteps like this and he's ah, 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 got this sort of deep voice and uh, he'll walk through a building site and people will just scatter you know like because they'll see him coming in that and. Uh, and he, he drew me aside one day and, you know, and he says, Matt, you know, when, when you deal with subcontractors, it's like, it's like you're representing me. So if you don't get the service that you need, you know, then you come and tell me because you are representing me. You know, we pay these people good money and they need to give us a good service. You know, you're my ambassador, he says, you know, and he sends me off on a way and I, off I go. And, and, uh, and I use that occasionally now and then. Hey, they, you know, like we can, you know. Anyway, so, but, but in a way, I, I am, I'm operating as his ambassador. I don't know where I was going with that, but I think it's a cool story. <laughs> so God makes his appeal to man. So we want to be ambassadors in the right sense, not in like a, you know, hit someone over the head sense. But, um, but God makes his appeal to man through us. Now, here's one of your, yeah, preacher, amen moments. Us means us as a church, as a group, just as much as it means us as individuals. Amen. Hold up my sign. Preach it, brother. Yeah, amen. Woo! <laughs> Here's another cool point I learned about the word ambassador. Do you know in this text, the translation is not a noun, it's not a title. It's a verb, it's a doing word. It's to act as an ambassador. It's to act as an ambassador. It's a doing word. And this challenges me because it means there's some doing to be done. You know, it's, a, it's not something we just sit, rest on our laurels on and say, I have a title, I'm an ambassador. 
No, no, you act as an ambassador. There is work to do. There is, we are called to act. Think about the book of Acts. <laughs> God says to Peter, hey, invite this man into your house. Oh, are you sure? I'm not sure about that. No, no, do it, <laughs> he says. And he explains to them God's mercy. Ananias, go and fetch Saul. Oh, I don't know, he's come to kill me. No, no, you go. Oh, okay, I go. And then he tends for him, he cares for him, he sees him baptised. Well, think about Jonah. God says to Jonah, go, preach, you have a message to share. As ambassadors, there was some doing to be done. You know, it's a, it's a verb, it's a doing word. And I need to be freshly challenged by that because sometimes I think in my own life, I rest on my laurels as an ambassador, as a title. Yeah, I'm a son of God. And I forget, hey, there's some doing to be done. In the world, we are called to be ambassadors. And it means inviting people around for a meal. It means reaching out in love. It means reaching out to the guy who's hiding in his basement with some of the most brilliant discoveries in the history of the planet, you know? It means there is some doing to be done. I think that's cool. Uh, uh, on the flip side, to let inaction or idleness creep into our life or into our church is to neglect what we have been entrusted with. It's like to grab Lucy's toy and just throw it out the window. And the sobering thought is Jesus will call us to give an account of what we have been entrusted with. He tells a, a, a story in Matthew 25 about a king who left and went on a long journey. And you read it, it says he entrusted them with wealth and property, something of value. And he gets back and he says, hey guys, how did it go? And to the servants that did well uh, and, 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 you know, and used it wisely, he blessed them. But he was furious with the man who sat there idly and did nothing with it. We are ambassadors for the king. Individually, as families, as a community, we represent him. Paul Barnett says, since Christ is no longer physically present, all Christians represent him and speak for him. In his death, he represented us. In his physical absence, we represent him. This means that those to whom we represent him, listen to this, make their judgment about him by what they observe in us. As a foreign nation is judged by the behavior of his diplomatic representatives, again, get this, so non-Christians often form their opinion of Christ by the behavior of his people. <laughs> I had this question dwelling in my mind and, and it just really provoked me this week. What do people around you think about Jesus as a direct result of what they observe in you and what they observe in your family? Or another thought, what do, you think about, what do people think about Jesus as a direct result of what they observe in our church? Does our community life, the way we integrate people into community, reflect what it means to be brought into a restored relationship? Does our community life model to outsiders the love, the warmth, the protection, the family life that we claim God provides in his reconciling of man to the world? Now, that's, that's a sobering thought, but it's not to condemn. You know, don't feel guilty. God doesn't condemn you in Christ. You know, don't condemn yourself. 
but it is to provoke. It's to provoke to action. It's to understand the weight and the significance of your words, of your actions, of your behavior, both as individuals and as a community. You know, when I go to my workplace, the way that I conduct myself and the way that I even do my work itself is speaks volumes. People look in and they see, you know, oh, they see this truth of, you know, Matt is a Christian, but look at the way he deals with his stuff, or look at the way he, if, they, if it doesn't meet up, meh, you know, that is challenging, and by God's grace, he will help us with that, but it, it does underline the importance and the significance of, of our life. That's why Paul says in Corinthians, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Skip a couple of verses because we went through that already. Verse uh, 6 says, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Working together. What, are, what does that mean? God, God calls us to work together. Well, in my mind it means at least one thing. It's, we understand that we, it's not just all up to Jesus to see you know, man reconciled to himself, but also it's not just up to us. It's not all just up to Jesus, but it's not all just up to us. There, we work together with him. Now, I would love to have time to expand on this working together, because I'm passionate about you know, people's careers and, and, and the gifting that God has in your life, but I'm applying it specifically to working together uh, with God to see people reconciled to God. We'll save that for a preach for another day. But we, so we work together with him. But even the contribution that we do make, listen to this, even the, even the contribution that we do make is fueled by and energized by God's grace and gifting in our life. It's not that we do it off our own steam. In other words, we do it by grace. And I want to finish with that in just a minute. So more on that in a minute. But this whole idea about God and man working together. I think it's a, uh, one of my favorite stories, my favorite illustrations, uh, is, is, is Saul, Saul's conversion in, uh, in Acts chapter 9. Saul, who's now known as Paul. But Saul was, was traveling around, and he was literally destroying the church. He was seeing, you know, throwing people in prison. He had Stephen killed. Uh, he, was, he was doing as much as he could to just shut down Christianity. And there he is, traveling to a city with the authority to just shut it all down and throw people in jail. And then one of the most spectacular conversion stories in, you know, of all history takes place. God boom, shows up, you know, a thousand watt LEDs in your face, you know, and, and, uh, and God appears to him and Jesus, and, and he literally blinds him when he appears to him. And he goes blind for three days. Now, if we just stop the story there, it sounds like it's all God, right? It sounds like it's literally just, wow, look what God has done, and it is amazing, right? But it's interesting what God does next. He's blind, he's stumbling around. What does he do? You know, appear to him, give your life, you know. He's, no, he calls on a man, Ananias. Now, Ananias was a man who lived in the city that Paul or Saul was traveling to in order to destroy. So he was one of, you know, he was in the, right in the firing line of what was about to take place. And God chooses him and says, you know, you know go and pray for this man and, uh, you know, go and serve him and so on. I find it very interesting that 
God stopped Saul in his tracks and blinded him. But it wasn't until Ananias got involved and prayed for him that he received his sight again. Now, that's not to say that God needs us, <laughs> but it is to say that he uses us. It is to say that we have a part to play. It is to say that God values the role that we play so much that he wouldn't open the eyes of one of the most influential men of all history until the right guy in the right place went and prayed for him and played his part and worked together. To me, this encourages me because it inspires me that, yes, in my life, uh, you know, I look to God to, uh, you know, to instigate things. I look for him for guidance. But it also means that I put one foot in front of the other and I have a part to play. So there's Ananias, the individual, helping, uh, working together with God to see him reconciled to him. But, uh, and here's another one of your, amen, preacher by the moments, but he also used the community. It struck me this morning as I was just thinking about this a little bit more. Think about this. There is a community of believers in Damascus, and Paul was on his way to Damascus to destroy their way of life and throw them all in jail. And it says in the Bible that after this amazing conversion moment, Paul stayed many days in Damascus. So <laughs> there, is, there is Saul experiencing the love and the favor and the generosity and the forgiveness and the community life of a people that he was just about to go and destroy. Now, if anything speaks of, you know, embodying the message of being reconciled to God and of forgiveness and mercy, it's this. There is Saul amongst the people who should have, you know, given him the boot, loving him, caring for him. And I just kind of wonder, there's, there's Paul going about the world, giving his life for these communities of grace, seeing them, you know, built up and restored. And I just kind of wonder how much of the time his mind went back to those first early days when he himself was a, <laughs> was a hater of Jesus, was insolent, was arrogant, was a, you know, had, his, had blood on his hands in all sorts of ways. And there he is enjoying this community life where he should have been condemned by them. I wonder how much of the time when he's being shipwrecked, you know, hanging off the, off the log in the floating ocean. I was thinking, you know, maybe I picked the wrong career, you know. Uh, I wonder how many times he was motivated and inspired, thinking back to those early days when he was embraced in community life and this, and this message of reconciliation was embodied. I think it's a beautiful uh, picture of the importance of community life as well as individual life. Preach it, brother. <laughs> Um, so, so they showed him grace, the gospel message by their actions in community. And I just want to finish off now with grace, a word on grace. One thing that I love being in, one thing that I love about being in New Frontiers is that we major on grace. It's brilliant. I've been recently in different church circles and around the place with work and so on, and, and it's just so refreshing to go back to grace knowing that God just loves us unconditionally and we just, you know, right in his eyes and all the rest of it. And, uh, and I'd love to give it a bit more of a treatment um, this morning, but I don't have time. I would like to recommend, though, a great preacher. I want to recommend uh, a bit of homework for you, which is to Google a preacher called Grace 3.0 by a guy called Phil Moore, who's within the New Frontiers family. Grace 3.0. And uh, it's, it's a great message about 
having a maturing understanding of grace all the way through to being fruitful by grace. He has this sort of, you know, like your computer upgrades, 1.0, 2.0, sort of break, he sort of conceptualizes it as grace 1.0 as being forgiven through Jesus. You know, that we, are, that we, are, that we receive God's righteousness um, as a free gift. He says, hey, look, let's never stop preaching that. Then he goes on to say grace 2.0, freedom by grace. In other words, you get free from sin in the exact same way that you were forgiven for it, all right? Freely empowered by God's grace. God, by his, uh, by his power in your life, deals with your inability to overcome sin. I know I used to be a real foul-mouthed potty guy at school, and, and, and you know, God's done a bit of a work in me and sort of got a bit more to do. But, um, but, but I didn't overcome that through my own strength. It was God's grace working in my life. That's grace 2.0. But then he goes all the way through to grace 3.0, which is being fruitful through Jesus. And I think this is really relevant to what we're talking about today. So I would encourage you as a bit of homework to go and listen to it. And grace 3.0 is about being fruitful. There's a picture of Paul, and he's working very hard. But he says, not on my own steam, but through God's grace, his empowering working through me. That's grace 3.0. And that is, as Phil Moore says, that's the, that's the grace that we want to mature more and more into. So let's not ever stop talking about grace, but let's go through more and more into a mature understanding of grace that it even empowers you to be fruitful in your life. So, we've covered quite a bit this morning, and I just want to recap um, some of these points and just, and just leave with you with a, um, a bit of a Challenge. So we, look, we looked at new creation. We looked last week and a little bit this week that the grand narrative behind everything is that God is making all things new and new creation has begun in Christ. And that this means that we, we have a work to do and we are bringing God's love and justice to all aspects of our life. New creation. That's a grand and glorious story. We are encouraged this morning to, about this phrase, from God. We are encouraged to have a correct perspective of God in our hearts. God is loving. He is so caring. Uh, he is not hesitant at all. It's often us who are hesitant. We've been entrusted. God loves you and values you and has entrusted you with something amazing. But that is also a big responsibility. And can I just plug Alpha with that as well? I mean, we've had a little bit of a, um, uh, that in the notices too. But can I just encourage you? I've been on a couple of Alpha courses myself. And they are great times, casual times. They are times where you can discuss the claims of the Christian faith over meal and friendship. I would encourage you, if you haven't been on one, grab a flyer and attend it. Uh, otherwise, if you know friends who would like to come along, I'd encourage you to bring them along too. It's, it's a brilliant time. And, I know with the people that are behind Alpha Course, it's just going to be such a, a great um, and, and brilliant time. Uh, so we have been entrusted with this message. And we need to ask God for courage and, and, uh, and guidance with it as well, as uh, Tim was saying. Also, we are, we've looked at that we are ambassadors this morning. Jesus loved us enough to be our ambassador, and now our love calls us to be his ambassadors. And this means that our actions, our behavior, in workplaces and families and friends and all the spheres of life really do matter. And lastly, we don't do it on our own. We work together with him in amazing and beautiful ways to see man reconciled to God. And we do this not on our own steam, 
but by God's grace. Amen? Amen. Do you want to stand and we'll, we'll wrap up?